It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN, our post-Christmas midday. So it's the most uh, Monday of Thursdays that we could possibly get to today. So that's just the way it works out. We've got uh, Jason Jorgensen and Brandon Bennett in here, along with Susan Littlefield. And happy day after Christmas, Susan. How are you? I'm doing very well, though I didn't get any Christmas treats. So if anybody has any spare cookies they want to send my way. You, did, you didn't get any? How did? How do you even avoid all of those? It didn't show up at my house. Huh. I'll be darn well. You're, you're probably going to get some now. So they're all going to show <laughs> up in truckloads of them. So you're better off than me. I, there are times I wish they didn't, but for yesterday I was pretty happy they did. Good deal. How are you doing today? What do you got for us? Well, we are going to kick it all off here at 1219 as the American Farm Bureau turns 100 years old. So we're going to hear from Vice President Scott Vanderwall. That'll come from Bryce as he gives us an update on what is happening there. Then... Coming up 1245, wheat and the winter wheat specifically and the need for sulfur. So we're going to catch up with a K-State crop guru that's going to talk about the importance of what we need to do in testing that winter wheat ground, especially if you're thinking about adding some of that fertilizer and other top dressings over the winter months. Then we'll wrap it all up at 117 as the National Pork Board's Lisa Becton, Dr. Becton, will talk to us about African swine fever and the behind-the-scenes work that they're doing to keep our producers safe. All right. Very good. Lots of good stuff. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Jason Jorgensen's in here. Jason, uh, I, I, I spent a little bit of time, for whatever reason, it came up on YouTube, and I started watching the Nebraska-Oklahoma game from 1978. Tom Sorley, I am hip, those guys. I'm amazed at how much college football has changed over the years. It's it just, has it's a little bit. It's such a different game. The guys a- who were good are still considered good, mm-hmm. and the Husker football team was well represented on the ESPN All-Time All-American team that was announced this morning with three Husker greats receiving praise. Johnny Rogers, mm-hmm. named to the first team. That makes uh, sense. Makes sense. Uh, Dean Steinkuhler oh, also yes. was named, along yep. with the great Dave Remington. Well, I'm good that two linemen got on uh, there for sure. Yeah. i just like to say that this kind of shows what happens in this week between holidays. I don't know if myself, you, and Brandon have ever been on midday no. together at the same time. That's, That's a good point. Yeah. You know, That's a great point. Have. I don't think so either. It's a sports-heavy uh, roundtable today. My wow. goodness. Yeah. Okay. I just thought I'd throw that out. Thank Not you. that anybody else would notice, but <laughs> this is a watershed moment in the history of the rural radio network. It's like the presidential State of the Union. I'm not sure we're all allowed to be in the That's same true. room That's at right. the same time, because if this room goes bye-bye, then uh, there's no one left to run the country. Good point. <laughs> Designated survivor. That's right. Tyler Cavalli. So, anyway. All right. Thank you, Jason. That'll be interesting to hear about. What do we, Brandon, you're in here talking about business. What do you got for us? Well, I am in here talking about business, and... And they are back to work on Wall Street right now. However, it's Boxing Day. Oh. So, and I don't mean the sport. No. I mean the former colonies of mm-hmm. the many of the British Isles. England, Europe, Hong Kong, Australia all remain closed today, day after Christmas, because of Boxing Day. But in the, in the uh, colonies that revolted a number of years ago, stocks edging higher this morning. U.S. markets reopening after the Christmas holiday. Amazon was the biggest gainer in the S&P 500, climbing almost 2%, and that has to do with all those gift cards that got sent out. Utilities, materials, and industrial stocks are lagging the most. Technology banks and companies that rely on, commu- on consumer spending doing all right all right more of that coming up on midday 
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. What a rally we've got going in winter wheat futures. Your Everybody neighbor, your agronomist, your veterinarian. You know and see her often. Trust and respect her. She's a woman doing her part in an industry we're all working to grow, and we think she needs to be recognized. The Rural Radio is kicking off the new year by celebrating all the wonderful women in agriculture, and we need your help. Throughout the month of January, we'll be featuring women involved in agriculture, and we need your nominations. Information on how to nominate your favorite woman in ag can be found at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here to explain what's happening. And uh, let me just, you know, we've had some nice weather and uh, it may be time to render unto Caesar. A it, exactly. Here, huh? Time to pay that piper. It, yeah, looks, like, it, yes. looks, it looks like it. <laughs> this, now, what we didn't talk a lot about this. Was this, was this storm that you're going to be talking about coming up here? Was this something that we saw coming, though, pretty yes, good? Uh, yeah, okay. actually, and we've been kind of uh, warning people something right. to watch uh, just a few That's days true. ago. That's true. We did and, talk about that. And still a lot of uncertainty yes. because we don't know exactly when rain may be mixing or changing to some snow. Uh, the better chances of seeing accumulating snow will be in northwestern areas of Nebraska and uh, northwestern, north-central Nebraska. But then the farther southeast you go, maybe two to five inches depending on when that changeover does occur because because the it looks like most of the temperatures are going to be right around freezing exactly yeah we're going to be in the upper 30s for much of the area tomorrow then probably dip into the upper 20s to low 30s for tomorrow night and just a lot of variables that the weather service is having to deal with that's always a big bugaboo with them it's always very difficult when you got that rain changing in the snow how much snow will we be seeing so Definitely keep up to date on this weather situation. Better chances of seeing accumulating snow the further northwest you go, lesser chance as you go to the southeast. Okay, very good. Right now, most of us with temperatures in the low and mid-30s. We still have a fair amount of cloud cover in eastern Nebraska, especially along and east of the line from about West Point to York down to Hebron. Also in Kansas, along and southeast of the line from Concordia to about Hill City, Kansas. But once again, those temperatures in the low and mid-30s. Looking at seasonable temperatures today, decreasing cloud cover as high pressure tracks southeast out of the Dakotas. Tonight looks to be one of our coldest nights in several days with the quick cooling from mostly clear skies and light winds. Then the big change on the way for tomorrow with this storm system moving in. Rain possibly mixed with snow and a wintry mix likely by tomorrow afternoon with low pressure that strengthens over southwest Kansas. We'll get a burst of warm air ahead of that low for tomorrow afternoon that will keep most of the precipitation as rain there's also a slight chance of some thunderstorms south and east of the tri-cities that rain changed in over to freezing rain sleet and snow when it turns colder for tomorrow night into saturday and due to those big time variances in time for the change to snow there will be adjustments in the snow totals probably later today through tomorrow so keep up to date as the forecast models start to come into better agreement we'll also see a dry slot move into the area for saturday morning that will help to rapidly end the precipitation from southwest to northeast and some wraparound light snow though will remain possible through sunday because of this storm winter storm watch in effect for tomorrow evening through saturday night for central and western nebraska much of north central and northwest kansas and northeast colorado once again this is tomorrow evening through saturday night in nebraska the watch along and west of a line from o'neill to aurora and franklin 
Kansas. The watch along and west of a line from Phillipsburg to Hill City and Leota. Rain tomorrow afternoon changing to that wintry mix tomorrow night into Saturday. Expected amounts of snow and ice. Once again, very preliminary right now. And due to uh, those variances, we could see some updates later today and tomorrow. Currently, most areas in the watch expected to see about 2 to 5 inches of snow. If you're along and west of the line from O'Neill to North Platte, 6 to 8 inches of snow is possible. Winds can guess as high as 35 to 45 and make travel difficult with low visibilities. We do have that current snowfall forecast map on our KRVN Facebook page. Otherwise, we'll see a northwest flow off high pressure build in from the west for early next week, and that will keep us dry and seasonably cool. In the long term, Warmer than normal temperatures overall expected in the long-term forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the first eight days of January. That chance for warmer than normal temperatures, though, will start to decrease in the later periods. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation is likely through Tuesday through January 8th for Nebraska and Kansas. In our latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska remains 97% drought-free. Abnormal dryness continues in the southwest from Hitchcock to Furnace County. Kansas continues to be 45% drought-free. Abnormal dryness to moderate drought remains over western and south, over western Kansas and south of I-70 in central Kansas. Severe drought found in much of the southwest part of Kansas around, and also around McPherson, Hutchinson, and Newton. Extreme drought remains from Garden City to the southwest corner. Key weather factors impacting the markets include a large storm brewing for the central United States and dry conditions forming in southern Brazil. The Midwest will be stormy this weekend with moderate to heavy rain and some snow. That storm causing disruptions to any late harvest in northwestern areas of the Midwest. Eastern areas of the northern plains expect some moderate to heavy snow this weekend. The snow there will stress the livestock along with disrupting the late corn harvest. The southern plains, moderate to heavy moisture from the storm, very welcome to benefit the winter wheat. Across southern Brazil, hot and dry weather will dry out the soils and cause some strep, uh, stress to crops some this week. This will need to be watched since the soils in Rio Grande do Sul tend to dry out a little more quicker and a flash drought will be possible. Northern Brazil, more favorable conditions, but more rain and milder weather could be more beneficial. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on it. And as you mentioned uh, with this uh, winter storm watch, that uh, as we get a little better idea of some of this snowfall, you're going to post those and so people can Exactly. See. As soon as we kind of get more data on this, uh, we'll, we'll post it probably maybe an update later this afternoon, whether it changes or not, uh, once again on our KRVN Facebook page. But you can kind of get an idea for your particular location. We have three separate maps that you can take a look at, once again, on our KRVN Facebook page. Most of us with about two to five inches, but along the northwest of a line from O'Neill to North Platte, six to eight inches is possible, but once again, that is subject to change. It seems like we've had a lot of those storms that have it, the big breaking point was right around Kearney Grand Island. Exactly, like and you know, a lot of times, yeah, you can, and we may be seeing some sharp mm-hmm. differences from town to town in snowfall amounts that are nearby each other. Okay, all right, well, it should be interesting. First, <laughs> uh, first one for a little while. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather, sir? Weather tab at krvn.com. Celebrating 100 years as an organization. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Brian Stuskit reporting. The American Farm Bureau Federation has turned 100 years old. Scott Vanderwall is from South Dakota and serves as the organization's vice president. 
going to be a lot of fun at this convention, celebrating the last hundred years since uh, Farm Bureau was uh, uh, created in 1919. And back then, you know, they recognized the need for amplifying and multiplying our voices. And we've really done that over the years to the, to the point where we are today. And then the other part of the centennial celebration is to look forward for the next hundred years. And, and what's it going to take for us to continue to uh, represent agriculture and be relevant going forward? When we think about the changes we've seen the last 20, 30 years, where are we going to be uh, 30 or 50 years from now, and where do we fit into that, uh, uh, representing farmers and ranchers' interests and making sure that not only our country but the world gets fed. Certainly things have changed over the last 100 years, but it's your, uh, it sounds like uh, things still the same. It's important that the American Farm Bureau represents farmers and ranchers across the United States. It is really interesting when you think about, uh, when you look back in history, like if you look at old farm magazines from the 40s, uh, they were talking about the same issues we are today. And so that, that bedrock issue about uh, being the voice for American agriculture and, and talking about profitability and representing our interests with people that don't necessarily understand agriculture, that's all the same. And then when you look at uh, technology and all the different things that we have that we're dealing with that enable us to do a better job and pr produce more while we're using the same or less resources is really what, uh, what we have to focus on going forward. Talking about some of the policy, I think uh, from our perspective at least in Nebraska, a lot of times we'll see uh, Farm Bureau at events such as signing the Farm Bill. There's a lot of legwork that happens, I'm sure, in meetings that you all are part of. Help us understand how you are that voice, particularly on policy issues, and how you, how you have that conversation and have a seat at the table. Yeah, we've got a great staff in Washington, D.C., and in all the states individually that work with their legislatures. But in, in D.C., we've got people that are involved in these meetings all the time and, and very well-respected lobbyists that are involved in the discussions. So in, in the interest of a farm bill, like you uh, mentioned, is that's going through the process and being put together. We try to have our policy in place before that and anticipate the changes that are coming. And then our lobbyists go up and they're very involved in all the committee meetings and and the discussions that go on with the principles behind that bill to make sure that our interests get put into that. And then as we go along, we'll try to change anything we don't agree with or support the things that we do. What makes you excited as you continue to be a leader in the American Farm Bureau Federation? Well, if the future of agriculture has to be great, you know, and, and by nature, farmers and ranchers are optimistic. Sure, we've had a really tough year, especially up in the mid upper Midwest, of all of the Corn Belt, basically. and. But people look at it as, well, that was a rough year, but I'm going to keep going, and, and next year it will certainly be different. We know it will be different. Hopefully it will be better. But uh, we're all optimistic by nature, and the fact is uh, we've got a growing world population, a growing population in our country, and we need to continue to fulfill our, our moral obligation to feed that population. And along with that, the fact that, the, that living on a farm or ranch, is, there's no better place to live, there's no better place to raise a family, and to develop that work ethic in our children. And that's, that's really what it's all about, faith, faith, family, and farming. Scott Vanderwall, Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, has been our guest as he and I visited last month in Kansas City as part of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Convention. I'm Bryce Duskit today reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Time for us to take a look at uh, our sports and Jason Jorgensen in here. You know, it seems like a lot of different sports have been doing this. Of course, the NFL has been counting down their 
top 100 players of all time, and ESPN's kind of jumped into that with college football, too. Yeah, they have, and the Huskers are well represented. They are represented on the ESPN's all-time All-American team, which was announced this morning. No surprising here, Johnny Rogers, the 1972 Heisman Trophy winner, was named to the first team as an all-purpose standout. Center Dave Remington at guard Dean Steinkuller, a pair of Outland and Lombardi-winning offensive linemen from the 1980s, comprised two of the five spots in the second team offensive line. And, I don't know, watching the fumble Ruski from the uh, Orange Bowl that year never never gets old. Oh, man, that's right. Dean Steinkiller rolling off the left side. There. I remember watching that game as a 10-year-old, and everybody is just... You know, their place was, oh, what? Where the ball? No, he he, he got it in there. <laughs> Those wow. are good times. You know, and, and the great thing about these is these kinds of lists is it certainly it upsets people. It makes them mad, but it, it certainly gets conversation going, which is fun. That's true. And the all-time team was part of ESPN's year-long celebration of the 150th anniversary of college football. Speaking of college football, fourth-ranked Oklahoma is back on the national stage. The Sooners are making their third straight college football playoff appearance. Of course, they'll be tested on Saturday when they take on LSU in the semifinals of the playoffs. And head coach Lincoln Riley says the extra prep time for a team like the Tigers has been a plus. Well, he has said that. He but, did. Uh, I've, I've heard him say stuff Kat's, like that. Cat's got his tongue on that one. Some <laughs> t- technical issues, but those should be some interesting games. Oh yeah, I really think I. I still feel like Ohio State may be the best team in that group, but boy, the way LSU's played, who knows? And you have to uh, wonder if there will be the Heisman jinx. Yeah, for Mr. Right? Burroughs. Sometimes that. Uh, plays into it. couple of bowl games today. Miami at 6-6 six and six is hoping to finish the season with a winning record as they'll be in the Independence Bowl that starts at 3 against Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech, they are 9-3. and three. I'll have to admit, I'm not real excited tonight about the Quick Lane Bowl. I'm, I might miss that one. A gritty matchup between <laughs> Pittsburgh and Eastern Michigan. Regional audience only there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Panthers are 0-4 in bowls under Coach Pat Narizzi, and the Eagles have lost all three of their bowls as a Division One football program. So you know what that means. Something's got to give. Something's got to give tonight at the Quick Lane Bowl. That is a look at sports. For more, find it any time at krvn.com. All right. We'll see how it works out. Thank you, Jason. KRVN was founded on the need for great weather reporting, so we keep our eye on the sky to bring you up-to-the-minute developments presented by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around, with locations in Kearney and Columbus, and by American Family Insurance, serving Lexington and Kearney. When weather becomes a threat, you need a fast response, and you get it. On air, social media, on our app, and on time. Keep it right here for weather, the Rural Radio Storm Center, and 880 KRVN. President Donald Trump likes to joke that America's farmers have a nice problem on their hands. They're going to need bigger tractors to keep up with surging Chinese demand for their soybeans and other agricultural goods under a preliminary deal between the world's two largest economies. Yet, skeptics are questioning how much China has committed to buy and whether American farmers would be able anytime soon to export goods to China in the quantity Trump has promised. $40 billion a year, according to Trump's trade representative, Robert Lighthizer. For perspective, U.S. farm exports to China have never topped $26 billion in any one year.
Inmates at a Lincoln prison damaged a housing unit during a Christmas Eve disturbance after staff confiscated food and homemade alcohol. A Nebraska Department of Corrections spokeswoman said about 14 inmates at the Diagnostic and Evaluation Center broke furniture, cracked a window, and disabled surveillance cameras. The incident began around 7 p.m. Tuesday and that some inmates did return to their cells as directed at the start. Prison staff locked down the facility and called in an emergency response team to resolve the incident. Center Director Scott Frake said no staff or inmates were injured. Union Pacific has appealed a judge's ruling ordering it to reinstate an engineer who defecated on a locomotive connection knuckle. The judge had disagreed with an arbitration board's decision that the engineer should be reinstated. Union Pacific had sued to overturn the board's order to put Matthew Lebsack back on the job. He defecated on a metal knuckle that connected a locomotive to a rail car. The judge disagreed with the board decision, but said the law allowed him to consider only whether the decision fell within the board's discretion. A Kansas prosecutor who helped free a man who spent 23 years in prison for a double homicide he always said he didn't commit is calling for justice as Kansas fights the man's effort to get compensation. Wyandotte County District Attorney Mark Dupree Sr. described the case of Lamonte McIntyre as a glaring stain on the criminal justice system. McIntyre was 17 in 1994 when he was arrested in Kansas City for the double homicide. McIntyre was sentenced to two life sentences, but he was freed in 2017 after Dupree asked the court to vacate his convictions. Authorities say a Kansas law enforcement pursuit that ended in a deadly crash started when a driver in a pickup truck slammed head-on into patrol cars of deputies who had stopped to attend to a deer that had been struck by a vehicle. The Montgomery County Sheriff's Office said that the collision late Monday disabled one patrol car and damaged the other. The release says a truck's driver, 24-year-old Robert Scott Jackson of Coffeyville, Kansas, then fled before losing control when the roadway surface switched from pavement to gravel. Jackson was pronounced dead at the scene. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Learning more about sulfur and agriculture. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As your winter wheat growers make your top-dress fertilizer plans for your stands, you might want to think about going beyond just nitrogen. That's according to a K-State crop nutrient specialist. Sulfur deficiencies in wheat are turning up more and more, and that can be addressed as part of the top-dressing application. Duravar Ruiz Diaz points out that distinguishing between a nitrogen shortage and a sulfur shortage is important. Many of the reasons why sometimes we uh, don't think about sulfur very much is because in many cases can be confused with nitrogen. If we're thinking about, for example, the deficiency symptoms, some of the symptoms could be similar. And sulfur is a nutrient that can be deficient in many of our uh, production systems today. It's something that we need to pay attention to and try to identify and make sure uh, we're really talking about either a nitrogen deficiency or a sulfur deficiency in some of those uh, fields that we are seeing with stunted yellow characteristics. And the wheat plants themselves as to whether they're sulfur deficient. 
But in the case of sulfur, the deficiency in the field tends to be more variable. We tend to see uh, the yellowing happening in side slopes, area where we do have some erosion happening. And again, those are very typical of sulfur deficiency that we can uh, immediately identify. The other thing, too, is at the plant level is that uh, the yellowing that we see tends to be, obviously, in the younger leaves. We're talking about an immobile nutrient in the plant. It is a mobile nutrient in the soil, but it is immobile in the plant, which means uh, if you see deficiency symptoms, that yellowing will tend to be mostly in the upper, in the younger leaves, as opposed to nitrogen, uh, which uh, is typically happening in the older leaves, as we tend to see more, more of a yellowing. So where are we seeing that yellowing? Those are key differences compared to nitrogen. But Ruiz Diaz still strongly recommends taking a sulfur soil test to confirm that deficiency. Uh, we really need to have a profile or at least the, as deep as we can get for some fields in terms of uh, getting the, the full profile of that sulfur level. And, and again, this is because it's a mobile nutrient in the soil. And we need to have, a, again, ideally a 24-inch sampling depth. If not, again, at least uh, 12, 18 inches, something, whatever is possible, basically, in that uh, specific soil. So, so that's something to, to keep in mind. Of course, if we are collecting that profile sample, we can also analyze for nitrogen and chloride. Those are other two nutrients that are going to be mobile in the soil and that can be analyzed essentially at the same time when we're running sulfur tests. Now, as for the actual sulfur fertilizer source to use on dormant wheat, he does offer some important guidelines. Uh, we do have some sources that are going to be more slow release, if you will, and then we have options that are going to be uh, immediately available. And again, in the case of top dressing wheat, we want to make sure and apply something that's going to be immediately available. And so we do have basically two main groups. Uh, we do have uh, dry sources and we have liquid fertilizer sources for sulfur. Typically, the liquid sources are uh, basically all immediately available. Uh, that will typically tends to be ammonium thiosulfate. Potassium thiosulfate is another source, and this can be uh, basically mixed with UAN, uh, top dressing time, and is, uh, again, immediately available to the crop. In addition to the liquid sulfur products, certain dry top dressing fertilizers can be applied to correct your sulfur deficiencies in the winter wheat. Here we have a, a little bit more of a mix of options. Some that are becoming uh, quite popular in some parts of the state are the MPNS uh, dry fertilizers uh, that essentially provide primarily phosphate, but also uh, including some sulfur in the in the formulation. Many producers are using some of these uh, sources uh, primarily to provide uh, phosphorus to winter wheat, and they may already apply enough, enough sulfur in that kind of, of situation. So this is something also to keep in mind. Those are, that are using that type of formulation, if they are applying phosphorus with a seed, and if the fertilizer source already included some sulfur, maybe they already took care of that need at that point. And yet another option could cover both the sulfur and the nitrogen needs as a standalone application. Of course, we do have other uh, options like ammonium sulfate. Uh, of course, with these, we have a fair amount of, of nitrogen as well, so it could be a good nitrogen source. It's uh, soluble in water, so it's going to be immediately available as well to the crop. So again, ammonium sulfate is, is uh, dry ammonium sulfate is a, is a good alternative for immediately available sulfur. And then typically the lower price and higher formulation uh, options going to be elemental sulfur. The key point with this is, of course, that we're going to need some time for this uh, elemental sulfur to oxidize and basically become available to the crop. We just have to keep in mind if we need an immediately available source, elemental sulfur may not be the best choice at this point.
As they're finding out in Kansas, quite a few of the plants could benefit from the top dressing application of sulfur this winter. Wheat growers should first, though, confirm the need for sulfur with a specific soil test and then consider the product options carefully, as explained by K-State Crop Nutrient Specialist Dorvar Ruiz Diaz. And recent reports continue to talk about the dryness seen in many of the Kansas winter wheat growing areas. And Kansas producers attend the Kansas Commodity Classic. That comes up on Friday, January 24th. It's the annual convention of Kansas Top Crops. That's corn, wheat, grain, sorghum, and soybeans. And it's set to take place at the K-State Alumni Center in Manhattan, Kansas. Due to some great donations, it is free for Kansas producers to attend. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. This is Alex Wojcicki with the Rural Radio Network. Join me every other Thursday for the Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. We hear from entrepreneurs from across the state to learn about their businesses. But more importantly, we learn about their journeys and how they got to where they are today. Interested in entrepreneurship? Join us to learn more about the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln every other Thursday at 1219 right here on 880-KRVN. And if you missed the program, you can listen to the podcast at ruralradio.com. It is time for us to take a look at our midday business report and we always try to take a look at the some of the overseas markets and see what's going on there or at least what went on in the overnights and that's a little bit difficult to say right now is Shanghai, Nikkei, Hang Seng, the DAX and the FTSE all closed today because of Boxing Day so their markets are closed here uh here and in Mexico and in South America are about the only ones that are open right now. And all of them are doing well, pretty well. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 55. The NASDAQ is up 58. And the S&P is up 11. The 10-year yield is down almost two full percentage points right now. Stocks are edging higher this morning in the United States. For trading after the Christmas holiday, technology, bank, and companies that rely on consumer spending are leading gainers. Utilities, materials, and industrial stocks are lagging the most. Amazon and other retailers are up following a report showing a last-minute surge in online shopping helped by holiday sales. Amazon was the biggest gainer in the S&P 500, climbing 1.8%. Macy's rose 0.8% and Nordstrom's added 7.7%. This is a report from MasterCard Spending Pulse shows holiday retail sales rose 3.4%, while online shopping rose nearly 20%. Today's modest gains in Wall Street have the major indices on track for more record highs. The benchmark S&P 500 Index has finished with a weekly gain of 10 out of the past 11 weeks and is headed for its biggest annual gain since 2013. U.S. long-term mortgage rates are little changed this week, remaining at historic lows to prod prospective homebuyers. Mortgage buyer Freddie Mac says the average rate for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage ticked up to 3.74% from 3.73% last week. 
The benchmark rate stood at nearly 5%, 4.55 a year ago. The average rate on a 15-year mortgage was 3.19, unchanged from last week. For the year, the average rate for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage was 3.9%, the fourth lowest annual rate since Freddie Mac began the survey in 1971. Stocks will close shortly here in the United States as well as in Central America. That is your uh, business report for midday. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Sometimes you just want to know the whys of the day's markets. And our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you the chance to ask the marketing experts. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell, Monday through Friday, as we dig deeper into the factors that shape the day's market activity. The Fontenelle Final Bell, weekdays at 217, right here on Rural Radio 880 KRPS. Learning more about the behind-the-scenes work in African swine fever. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We know our pork producers are very diligent in keeping their herds safe. But as we know, African swine fever and the issues it could bring continue to loom in the background for pork producers. Well, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that is being done to help to protect our herds. Dr. Lisa Becton is Director of Swine Health Information and Research, part of the National Pork Board. She and I sat down recently in Kansas City to talk about the work being done. Yeah, that's right. You know, and this has been a high top priority for our producers, especially since last year when we first saw it, you know, be identified in China and then spread across the country and now into other Asian countries. And so we're really focusing our efforts on what do we do to keep it out. But we're also focusing efforts on how do we be prepared in the event it gets here. The, The really fun part, if anything can be fun, is that this is such a collaborative effort. So it's drawn all of our industry organizations together from USDA to our state veterinarians, our state pork associations, you know, American Association of Swine Vets, National Pork Producers Council, the Swine Health Information Center. All of us are working together towards that one goal of preventing the incursion of ASF into the U.S. Lisa, what I think is so great is that collaboration that's there. I mean, there's no no borders. No, You guys are working for a good common cause. And I think there's so many different hands in the pot with different education levels that bring different insights. And you're right. And I think that's the beauty of all of us working together. We each work to our different strengths and our resources. And so, you know, it, it helps us fill out the whole picture of disease control management and eradication. And we need that because ASF is bigger an issue than any one of us organizations could ever hope to deal with. So let's go down to the producer level. You know, they have bio security that is amazing already because that is their livelihood what things should they be stepping up you know we've got a lot of things outlined in our secure pork supply plan and that will look at what we call an enhanced biosecurity and in that looks at almost like you know biosecurity on steroids times two just different things as far as locking down how they move vehicles in and out of the farm you know cleaning trailers but other components are incorporated like how we deal with feed and ingredients because unfortunately a lot of things that we put into our feeds for for minerals for vitamins 
have to come from overseas. And so how we handle those products, how they're being manufactured, do we need to keep them in storage for a period of time before we use them? All of those things we're looking into and, and suggesting that producers look at that by their individual organizations and see what do they do. So that really brings in more communication. It sure does. And we do have at pork.org backslash FAD kind of a checklist or a, an algorithm that producers can use when they're talking to feed mill suppliers and find out, you know, how are things being manufactured and produced. And so to help give them guidelines and talking points. And we've also paired up with the American Feed Industry Association because they've got a really good thing on supplier biosecurity guidelines. So, again, it's not even just live animal. It's a lot of our soybean associations, corn, feed. So everybody's working together to keep us free of disease. What type of education are you guys doing or are working on doing with our state departments of agriculture? You know, we've had a really good relationship because our state veterinarians are so key to any kind of disease mitigation. And so we've been working with them on secure pork supply plans, but also letting them know about our educational materials for fairs, for producers, for biosecurity. So that way they don't have to reinvent the wheel and spread, you know, spend money on those items where we can assist with them. Those comments with Dr. Lisa Becton. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, day after Christmas, low volume trade overall, but a positive day to see it close in the green, especially those wheat markets. Oh, yeah. I mean, wheat being up a dime, I think that's, that's, that's the stage for the market to jump here. Let's, we get into 20, uh, 2020, I think right now, you just... The selling just doesn't need to exist in the wheat market like it does in the corn and the beans. You know, folks want to sell sell product here. This is the end of the year. Spoke to a number of people, meeting tax advisors today. So I'm, I'm sure there's reasons that the market hasn't run uh, similarly in the feed grain market on the corn side. But I do think that'll come here. I think the tough decision will be what do you do up here at four bucks. Uh, be ready. I think. I'm not saying it'll go there tomorrow, but uh, I would imagine the next two weeks, probably ahead of the USDA report, we get a move up there. And that has been the sell point. Uh, if you go back a few years, I mean, really, any any run up on the front month contracts to four dollars outside of a summer month has been a sell. So we'll see if it'll hold this time. Going forward, really, we need to get into January. We'll have USDA report, hopefully a U.S. China signing ceremony. What are the things that could negatively affect this market going forward? Good South American production. Those would be the one, the one that I think would kind of bring the markets to its knees again. Um, but if we're getting demand that's essentially mandated by these trade deals, I don't know if that's going to matter as much. I think maybe in the soybean side it does, just given that that's what's likely to happen here. You'll see spreads develop between the the, the Brazilian and the soybean, the Brazilian crop and the U.S. crop. Um, I look for that more likely to happen in, in a market like soybeans. And given the wheat rallies we've seen, um, I'm not sure corn will break that much, even if even if the optimism is there. But um, the short term would be the soybean market, at least on weakness, given that the early Brazilian soybean crop will be ready here shortly. So we get some harvest pressure there. But again, if China's buying products from us, I don't know if the, the, the seasonals will care as much. In those emergent currencies, is there anything really standing out to you coming into the end of 2019 to be aware of going into 2020? No, not nothing major yet. You know, I think it would just be a surprise that if the markets don't give us some sort of uh, big trade in the um, in the big three currency markets, which is the euro, the yen, and the dollar. We just haven't seen that over the last, I'm going to go out on a limb here, say eight to nine months. I think we've been in a four or five handle range, which is, is 
pretty much acrimony when it comes to currencies. Uh, it's as close as you get. And uh, now that we have a trade deal or a potential trade deal between the U.S. and China, you know, does does Europe start to move a little bit with with the support of those those headwinds? I think European markets are the ones most poised to rally, and I think that's that's a good sign for wheat if we could get some some strength in the in the euro. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do you remember trading futures involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors? That'll do it for our midday program for today. If you'd like to hear today's program in its entirety, go to podcasts on KRVN, sponsored by... Davini Motor. Howdy folks, this is Rick from Davini Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.